0: remain standing for this morning's scripture reading, which is from Psalm 126, and which we will be reading together. Now, as you'll be able to see on the screen, I will speak the first line of the verse, and we will all together then speak the second line, again, Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the exiles to Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore us, O Lord, like the streams and the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. Bringing sheaves with him. This is God's word. You can have a seat. So, Katie, the boys, and I are unfortunately unable to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my my father graciously took our entire side of the family, all 15 of us, on a cruise to Alaska. And the only bummer about these cruises is they go from Sunday to Sunday. And so that's where we are right now. We're actually probably on our way home. We might even see you in Petaluma tomorrow. But I wish we could be worshiping with you this morning, especially with my pal Brian Weston uh, on his first day of leading us in song. Pause for applause for Brian. Very good, okay. But here's some good news for you. I was able to beam into the sound booth some, uh, some pictures from our time in Alaska. Here we go, some pictures my kids took. And uh, as you can see, the wildlife, the wildlife has just been out and about during our time together. We've been really really been able to get some great action shots. A really quite an adventure. Quite an adventure in the great state of Alaska, so. (laughs) Oh, wow, I'm so sorry. If you're visiting with us this morning, I wish I could say it wasn't normally like this, but it is. If you are just joining us, uh, this summer we're doing a Sunday series called Songs to Carry On. If you've been on a long road trip, you ever been on one from one place to another, you know how important music is, right, specifically an album or a playlist of travel songs that helps you and everyone around you carry on with your journey, right? And so that's how we're spending this summer going through these psalms of ascent, which are these sung prayers designed to help people carry on through tough transitions in their life. These psalms were compiled, actually, as Israel's best of playlists for a journey that was taken three times a year to Jerusalem. So as you and I navigate transitions, whether it's this transition of getting into the summer and sort of a different, more flexible schedule, being outside more, seeing neighbors more, regular transitions like a new job, a new relationship, multi-level transitions like life post-pandemic where certain rhythms have been stopped and and new strange ones that began or just this transition called living this side of the grave. These Psalms are meant to help us carry on with God, with one another, with ourselves, and this little phrase that marks this particular psalm we're looking at this morning, Psalm 126, is the phrase, sounds of joy. You may have noticed it repeated a number of times. And this, this shouts of joy, sorry, shouts of joy would have sounded like a genuine primal whoop of joy, a true woo, whoa, whoop of joy. Uh, and if that's not a sound that uh, is familiar to you, a sound you've heard or made, Uh, in the recent past, it might be because you and I are getting older. Uh, One of the sadder aspects of adulthood is that most of us uh, whoop for joy increasingly less. I suspect many of us uh, listening to this haven't haven't gotten out a loud, genuine, from-the-gut whoop of joy over the past many months, maybe even a couple years, maybe even a decade, we haven't let out just a guttural whoop of joy. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would walk out of here having significantly increased your probability of whooping for joy in the very near future. Our psalmist shares a community's entire experience of raising their present baseline of joy. And gives us a clue of how, to, how that steady present joy can sort of crescendo into a genuine Whoop of joy. So that's what we're aiming for this morning. This week's psalm is a psalm of joy. What we see from this community's experience with joy is that one, joy builds on the past, two, joy borrows from the future, and three, joy is buoyed by tears. And that's our roadmap this morning. What, we're gonna look, what I want us to look at first, though, is that final phrase, that final little line of verse 3, which is, we are glad. You notice the psalmist describes his present joy. We are glad, his present joy of his community. And if you look closer, you'll notice that everything that comes before that phrase is in the past tense, right? We are restored, we were filled, said, has done great things. Joy builds on the past, but if you look at everything after that little line, we are glad, in verse 3, you'll notice, Everything after that little phrase is what the psalmist anticipates for the future. And so we get restore, which really has the sense of soon restore. Then you get shall reap, shall come home, because joy also borrows from the future. And this isn't some psychological revelation, is it, right? When you're going through something hard and you're present, You tend to maintain a sense of composure, a peace, of joy by anticipating better times ahead. And the only way you can realistically anticipate better times ahead is because you've banked better times from the past upon which you can draw and you can bring that into the future. And that's really all our psalmist is doing. His present joy builds upon the past and it sort of borrows from the future. So let's first talk about how joy builds on the past. Verse 1 says, the Lord restored the exiles to Zion. Now, a couple quick notes about this. Some Bible versions you'll see will have the Lord restored the fortunes of his people. But but while the, uh, while that's true for the ESV, the NIV and, and, and LT translation, I think rightly translate this sort of strange little Hebrew word into the, the Lord restored the exiles to Zion, not restored the fortunes to, uh, for Zion, but restored the exiles to Zion, which makes sense of why the, many commentators believe that the psalmist is looking back to this 70-year period in which God's people were punished for, for centuries of rebellion against the Lord who so loved them. So generation after generation uh, leading up to the, to the 6th century B.C., they kept saying no to God's way and yes to their own way. Finally, like any, any long-suffering parent, God the Father says, hey, I got to send you into a timeout. I got to put you in the corner, send you in a timeout. And it's going to be a long timeout, 70 years, in fact. So he followed through with one of his promised consequences for continually rebelling against him and saying no to his love and his ways, and that was to ship his people off to a foreign land for some period of time. In this case, the foreign land, the foreign power to which he sent them off was Babylon. So the psalmist is describing in just these first verses, his community's return from the, what was known as the Babylonian exile. He says the approach towards God's promised land, it was like a dream. It carries a sense that it all happened so, so quickly that it almost seemed like a blur, which Describe some of the most thrilling moments of our life. Maybe your wedding day. Maybe 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 a graduation. Maybe some amazing moment in your life. It, it, you look back, it seems like a blur. He may not remember every detail, every sequence of events, but he remembers the emotions that they all felt at the time. He, he remembers lots of laughter. He remembers whoops of joy. He remembers that as they return, people from other nations or watching them walk by and would say, wow, the Lord, he has done great things for them. There was a period of a few weeks in 1995 where Jesus captured my heart, bringing me from from death to life. And I remember what the director of the camp preached about. And I remember how people loved me, even though I had nothing good to bring to the table. But a lot of the rest, friends, was just emotion, I remember weeping at a picnic table, regretting my past and what I'd done to rebel against God, but overjoyed at God's promise of forever forgiveness that just rang so true and got to me. I remember the sense of security with myself that I never before felt. I remember feeling like I was walking on air when I left that summer camp, when I left that mountaintop, and I was laughing. Oh man, the laughter! Even with my parents, I was a teenager. Even with my parents as a teenager, I was just laughing with them and they could tell the difference. I could hear them saying, Ryan, the Lord has done something great in your life. They were basically refra- repeating the refrain of this psalm, right? The Lord has done great things for you. Lasting joy is delight in God that results from and anticipates his surprising activity. Lasting joy is the light in God that results from and anticipates his surprising activity. So look back. Nothing quite like, there's nothing quite like the first time you discovered Jesus and his love, and or maybe rather the first time he discovered you, but also the, te- for the first time when God helped you overcome that temptation or habit you never thought you'd break. Or the time forgiveness freed you from the chains of a grudge you never thought you could let go of. You remember that? Or that season when you finally found a community of people with whom you could be totally transparent about some of the deepest, darkest things in your life. And I can hear that kind of family, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of community with whom you could be transparent, something you never thought or even considered what's possible, and now you never want to go without for the rest of your life. So look back, because joy, it builds on the past. It also borrows from the future. Joy borrows from the future. Recently, Katie had some issues. My wife Katie had some issues with her teeth, with her jaw. So having already had some dental work done, she had to go back into the dentist, where the dentist would just start to grind on some of her back teeth and she did not have any earbuds with her, nothing to listen to. So she had, was forced to go to some kind of happy place. Just how she described it, she said, you know, with the people she loved, she had to go mentally, go somewhere where she was with the people she loved in God's creation to this, this creek or waterfall that she had not even ever visited. And it was the only thing that helped her distract her from this very painful present she was going through Maintaining any kind of joy in a difficult present requires envisioning a better future and and thus borrowing from that future for the present, right? For the present difficulty you're going through. Our psalmist envisions or or borrows from not only one, but two possibilities for the future. The first is a uh, miraculous, sort of immediately abundant blessing. And you can see that in verse 4 when he talks about restore us like the streams and the Negev. Now, the Negev is a desert in Israel, which symbolizes what the psalmist felt in the present, dry, arid, a difficult period. In places like Egypt and Babylon, irrigation was set up to, uh, you can get from water sources that were used. But there was no such luck in Israel. In fact, uh, if you read in places like Deuteronomy 11, Moses flat out tells the people, hey, this isn't like Egypt. You'll have to rely on God from the water for water sources, for, for water blessing. You can't just get it from other sources. So their food was dependent on rains, which could vary from year to year. They weren't necessarily consistent. So when those rare rains, when those rare torrents rains, Torrential rains would come upon the highlands to the north of the desert. Rivulets would begin to expand into streams as they rushed down the hill, which would then balloon into rushing rivers that would, that would fill barren wadis. So the image of streams in the desert, it stresses that the suddenness of God's blessing, that it's this miraculous, immediately abundant blessing. But there's a second possibility our psalmist envisions from the future. And that is the possibility of a deliberate blessing that involves our participation, a deliberate blessing that involves our participation. The psalm envisions a full year of first sowing and then plowing and then reaping a harvest. And this is the normal means, the normal means by which God often brings grace to our lives, right? We invest time and money and effort. We work with others and as we do so, God provides the rain, as it were, you know, as the missing ingredient to put us over the top and give us that victory and that breakthrough. When we endure in life a series of just body blows, or uh, or we're feeling really down, or just blah about our prospects, it's important we borrow from the future. For me, the future. I envision is God building his kingdom in Sonoma County through this humble church. That is what I dream of, friends. Envisioning younger people in our church uh, coming alive in their walk with Jesus as they walk with more seasoned Christians in the church. It's actually something I'm getting to see a little bit of, a little taste of this summer. I I envision spouses who, who don't have a present faith finally being awakened to show a keen interest in their husbands or wife faith, those who even attend this church. I envision our our missional families, our fams, even just a few of them, faithfully using the summer to build relationships with their neighbors to the point that I can see, I envision these, these gatherings of joy and laughter around dinner tables. I'm borrowing from the future for present joy, see? Finally, joy is also buoyed by tears. Joy is buoyed by Joy gets that big lift. It grows into a whoop by tears. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in Psalm 124, and the message in a nutshell was you have to reflect all the way through the depths of pain to be able to see the heights of God's help in your life. Yet here, the psalmist isn't describing something we would normally think of as painful. Now, I didn't grow up on one, but my understanding is work on a farm does not normally lead to open weeping. And yet we read in verse five, those who sow in tears shall reap. Verse six, he who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing. What has happened? Why are people crying on the farm? What's going on here? So I went on a short field trip for today's sermon. Uh, years ago, people started uh, this couple, Started a, 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 uh, a farm company, a farming company in Missouri that produced rare seeds, rare seeds. And, and Petaluma, this was in Missouri they started this, and Petaluma is home to its only store, its only store in the world. They've developed a thousand different varieties of seeds, many of which are in their boulevard store. And you can see in this picture how, how one pack, which one pack of oregano has at least 400 seeds inside of it. And the ancient Israelites' friends were far more limited than what I found in this store, and the stores like it. Sometimes they would be armed with just dozens of seeds, and, and the farmer truly had to, to lose his seed before he could gain any crops. In fact, as one commentator I read put it, I'll just quote him, he had to sink his fortune into the soil and hope for an increase, but the outcome was uncertain. If his sowing did not pay off, you might not have enough seed to sow in the next season. You might suffer great financial loss, and his family might go hungry. Every seed carries inside of it an embryo, a life, that has just one chance. When the outer shell of that seed dies, the vulnerable embryo is then released, and some do not make it. So so to summarize what's happening here, it's this. To sow seeds was to risk loss. To sow seeds was to risk loss. As an Israelite so he knew, oh my gosh, all that I had is now buried in that soil. Joy then isn't buoyed by tears of just any old pain. Joy is buoyed by the tears of risking loss, of what that felt like. To put that seed in the soil. So you may notice on the back of your bulletin, it says uh, the notes there on point three. It says joy is buoyed by tears, A.K.A. blank, blank, risking loss. You can fill that in now. Should be A.K.A. risking loss. Joy is buoyed by tears or risking loss the, for the possibility of a better, more beautiful life. It comes forth from, from that loss, from that little death. An adult life. Um, that is peppered by, by tears. Uh, sorry, the adult life that's peppered by whoops of joy happens when we take faith risks that will feel, friends, like little deaths, relying totally on the goodness of God to, to resurrect them from the dead, as it were. God has to work there to bring life from what you put in the soil. In 2009, during a recession, God led Katie and I... Uh, Towards, towards me resigning from what was a good job and a good church. This is back in 2009. You might remember that time period. It was a crazy time to resign. But there we were. We, we planted a church in the Caribbean, giving up most of what we own in order to raise funds to go and to travel light enough to get there. We moved to a foreign land where we were guaranteed just three months' salary, moving with our five and three-year-old it felt like we were burying our only seed, saying, okay, God, this is it. So there was real tears that went with that. Yet as we reached our six-month period, the church had doubled in size multiple times over, whoop of joy. Month nine, and we had trained small group leaders who had never been small group leaders before, whoop of joy. We, We partnered with the Department of Education to, to adopt a local primary school for at-reach, for at-reach kids. Whoop of joy. We raised up elders who had never been elders before. Whoop of joy. We trained ministry team leaders who had never done anything like that before. Whoop of joy. New people started to trust Jesus and take faith risks of their own, including risking loss by giving others significantly of their resources to grow God's kingdom through this unproven church and it's very young pastor, praise God, whoop of joy. And yet, yet while God promises a harvest for risking loss, it may not be the harvest you imagined. While God promises a harvest for risking a loss for his glory, it may not be the harvest you imagined. You invested extra time and sacrifice in a marriage, and yet decades have gone by and doesn't seem to have made any difference. You invest money, time, sleepless nights, early mornings for your kids, and yet they turn away from the God you love. Actively and practically loving your neighbor, doing the right thing when no one is looking, giving to to a cause or to a church that ultimately ends up letting you down, sharing your faith, even though you know that by doing so you might burn a bridge in a relationship because the person may no longer feel comfortable around you. I was with my friend and church family member, Shelby Dunlap, when his brother unexpectedly passed. This was just a couple years ago almost. And God used that loss in his life to take a faith risk, to risk loss, to share the good news of Jesus with a group of men with whom he'd been playing golf for over 20 years. He pulled them aside for playing 18 holes and he shared with them John 3:16. And along with that, the story from his own life of journey with Jesus. The results were mixed. Those men did not come to trust Jesus, but neither were bridges burnt in his relationships with them because they respected what he was doing. Friends, nobody risked more than the God-man, Jesus Christ. He actually drew upon the imagery here in Psalm 126 when he said to his disciples in John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a seed of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit speaking about his own death and with the imagery of the precious and valuable seed, not knowing exactly what it what, was going to look like when he, to, to trust his father and die. He knew that it would end in glory and somehow bear much fruit. And then he turns to his disciples and says, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates, whoever loses his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus wants to, to keep repeating in you a pattern, friends, of risking loss for the sake of life. Jesus wants to keep repeating in you a pattern of risking loss for the sake of life. So I believe God wants to encourage you this morning, don't be afraid to take that faith risk that's on your mind right now, to risk loss. I get that you may have been burned. I really do, maybe even recently. Maybe even you're still hurting from from losing something, something precious. And I can't hold out to you any guarantees that the, the fruit, the harvest, the result turn out like you hoped it would. I can't give guarantees for that, but we trust in a God who specializes in resurrecting what's dead and bringing life from loss. So today's message in a nutshell, it shouldn't be mistaken for a formula, but somehow, st- In some shape, it holds true. And that is this, more risk leads to more whoops. More risk for God's glory will lead to more whoops of joy. Pray with me if you would. Father, we are grateful for your death, for your showing us the way. No one lost more than you did. You put your very life into the ground on the cross, Jesus, and trusted that your Father would raise that life from the dead and bear much fruit. And you call us to risk loss to a God who loves to resurrect dead things and bring life from what has been lost. Then and only then will our lives be peppered with whoops of joy to raise the probability that more and more we might see these uh, crescendos of celebration and laughter and joy and be able to say the Lord has done great things for us. Help us take that faith risk that is on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.